Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. Now, we've had a collision of worlds, a joining of forces, a banding of brothers. Sash from Principle Design and me, Sean from Open Pantry Consulting, are pleased to announce this venture for 2021, Principle of Hospitality. Now, we know that food brings people together and promotes community. And at Principle of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. Now, that's why we've partnered with Chef's Hat on this Principle of Hospitality podcast. Now, if you didn't know, Chef's Hat is the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia. They strive to inspire cooks, chefs, bakers, and bartenders to deliver the best product with the best tools every day. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. Now let's get into today's podcast. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. It is fantastic to have you listening along. So thanks for tuning in. Born and raised in Argentina, Dan Schwartz's driving passion is food and most of all, honesty when it comes to his food. His food style is multifaceted, combining influence from his French training, Australian lifestyle and South American heritage. He's also worked in London and since coming to Melbourne, established himself as a, with a couple of great venues before becoming head chef at Gary Megan's Phoenix Restaurant and made establishments Hellenic Republic in Brunswick and Hellenic Hotel in Williamstown. Dan now works full-time looking after his baby Dan's Empanada Bar in North Melbourne and his mission is to bring the authentic flavours of Argentina to Australia and showcase his passion for combining traditional and contemporary ingredients with authentic homemade recipes. Dan, it's fantastic to have you on the program. How are you, man? Good. Thank you to have me. Oh, absolute pleasure, man. And, um, you know, the last week just getting to know you has been has been super exciting. And as I've, as I've you know, spoken to you about separately, like... South American food and obviously Argentinian food is 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 really something that will need some more education, I think, for most Australians moving forward. So it's really fantastic to to have this conversation with you because I think I'm I know I'm going to learn a lot from this conversation. So I know it's going to be awesome, man. So yeah, I mean, I touched a bit about you know your fantastic history there, uh, both overseas and and obviously here in Melbourne. Um, but let's talk about you know let's talk about how you got into the industry and 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 what you're enjoying right now. All right. So a bit of background. So, of course, I was born in Argentina, raised in Argentina. I did my cooking school in Argentina. But Argentina is a, is a country which has a lot of influence from Europe. Mm. So, you know, what we call Argentinian food is a big influence between, you know, Italian, Spanish and all these different cultures compared yes. to places from the north as in you know colombia peru uh, mm-hmm. mexico they have their unique cuisine mm-hmm. dating back from, you know, from the aztecs and the mayans and stuff like that we are basically a big mix between europeans yes. you know my background you know my grandfather was polish from my mom's side russian so 
you know, I have that influence as well in me. So it keeps going. So it's, you know, it's, and I'm coming from a Jewish family. Yes. You know, food is a massive, massive part of, of us growing up. Mm -hmm. So food is always been around in my house and it's been good all the time. So mm -hmm. from my grandparents to my parents, to my uncles, everyone cooks and everyone, you know, us being a Jewish family, everyone tried to be better than the other one. Yes. Um, so, you know, going for <laughs> holidays or going for special um, festivities and that, um, that brings food to a different level. Mm -hmm. So I was always um, surrounded by food and my love of food came at the early age, you know, with my grandfather. Um, he, he used to work for a telecommunication company back in Argentina. Mm hmm and once the tele telecommunication company collapses, he ends up with a, a big payment uh, from the government. Right. And, you know, he decided to open a, a deli. Wow. So he opened a deli. I was, I was probably just born. Yeah. Um, and he was insane. Like, he, he was crazy. Uh, he opened a deli back where all the theaters were in Buenos Aires. Oh, okay. So he was busy since day one because mm -hmm. his food was home cooking food. Nothing was the same. Mm. Every day he will do the same thing, but every day will be different. Wow. He will never follow a recipe. So his success was in that, but he was very bad with numbers. Right. But when my, my uncle was working for him, he's an accountant. So he was always, you know, going, like, you know, you shouldn't be charging this or you should be charging that. He was very bad with numbers. So he will charge yep. almost cost price. <laughs> uh, but he was extremely busy and the love of food came came from there because you know every time you go to to my grandma's house and stuff like we amazing food so yes you know my mom can cook amazing everyone can cook so you know that's how it all grew up but i didn't study uh cooking at the beginning i i studied industrial design which is completely different wow so, how did that know, yeah how did that come about why did you do industrial design for so I, was, I went to a high school back in Argentina, which it's, um, it's a very famous industrial school. Mm. Uh, and I always liked design. I always either wanted to be an architect or industrial designer. Yep. Uh, but I always had that thing that I wanted to cook. Mm -hmm. So when I was on year 12, because over there, when you're doing a technical school, you do an extra year. So it will be equivalent to year 13, which will be like the first or second year of university. Right. Um, okay. So you finish with a degree that allows you to go straight into uni on second year of uni. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty strong. Mm -hmm. um, and on year 12, I decided, well, I wasn't sure if, you know, industrial design or architect was for me, mm -hmm. but I love food. So I went around the corner of my house. It was a very, very busy restaurant, very famous. Mm -hmm. And I knocked on the door and I said, look, you know, do you mind if I, if I come in and just give it a go? Mm. And they go, no. So I went again the next day and then and again and again until they said to me, all right, you can come in, but we won't pay you anything. I'm yes. like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I can do, I can do the weekends. Mm -hmm. It's no problem. And I started going after school on Friday afternoon <clears throat> and then Saturday. And they decided that they wanted to start paying me because it was, you know, beneficial for them. And I mm -hmm. just started loving it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I did that for all year 12. And it was great because, you know, I was getting a little bit of money and, you know, I was getting into food and I was just finding what, if I really wanted to do that. So I realized if I really wanted to do that, I need to try it and I mm -hmm. need to go for it. So on the last year of high school, 
it was getting quite hard because you have so many exams and all that. So I did half a year, but then I realized, all right, this is what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I went to my parents. I said, look, you know, I just really want to do this. My, my dad was more like, you know, you need to follow a university degree. Yes. My mom was always, you know, do whatever you want to do. But they both said, you know, if you ever want to do that, you need to find the best school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to go to any mediocre school. You're not going to go to any, you know, uh, easy certificate thing. You need to go to the best school is available. So we look for the best school in, in, in Buenos Aires, which was at that time uh, the boy trainers where I did my um, cooking school. Mm -hmm. And it was the only school at that time that had um, a certificate that it was given by the government. Right. All the other all the other schools were like trade schools with no certificates. This one was the one that allows you to go anywhere in the world and that certificate would be valid. Yes. So I decided to go there. But right. the, the issue was for going to that school, you have to apply and then you have to go into a course to be admitted into the school. So it was like, yeah. you know. So anyway, I got admitted and and it was great. So, you know, I just decided, you know, this is for me. And yeah, right. I, I started doing that and never looked back. What did you What did you love about it in those early stages, Dan? Like, I think, I think the first the atmosphere, the, mm. the where you work is different. Like you know, it's hard to explain if you've never been inside the kitchen. But yes, the workplace is just insane, mm. and it's just amazing the com the camaraderie and and how people treat each other. And in Argentina, because we are very we're very different. Like we're very um, warm, and everyone says hi. Sure, and it's very dis it's very disrespectful not to say hi. And it doesn't mm. it doesn't matter what level on the kitchen you are. You are the head chef. You are the kitchen hand, or whatever. Yes, everyone says hi, and everyone says hi with a kiss. And <laughs> at, when when we all meet, and when we all greet, and when we're we're all on the same level, mm. when we start working, it's a different thing. Everyone has a role to do. Yes, but there's a it's a mutual respect. So I really, really enjoyed that. And the days were going really, really fast. I didn't really pay attention to it. And I was learning a lot and absorbing a lot. Mm -hmm. But I always knew that Argentina wasn't the place for me. I always knew deep inside my heart that I need to go to Europe. I just need to 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 go and live my life mm -hmm. abroad. Right. What made you um, what made you think that if I can ask you? Uh I think the variety. Like you know, in Argentina right. you're very limited to to like, don't get me wrong. Uh, at the time that I was doing my cooking school, uh, Argentina was really, really high in, mm -hmm. in the culinary world. You know, we, we, we were number six in the world when, when the Bocuse door was in and, mm -hmm. and it was, the level was really, really competitive. Um, but the produce that you can get in Europe, you can compare. You right, know, right. Everything there, you, you, from one country to the other, you can go in half an hour. Yes. Um, so for me it was, I need to, to go somewhere that I can actually speak a different language, mm. um, that I can learn new things, that I can see things that I don't see back home and, and live by myself. So mm -hmm. I started looking and the director of the school that I was working, he was Swiss mm -hmm. and he had all the connections in the world. Yeah. And so I went and knocked into his door and I said, look, you know, I really, really want to go to Europe. And mm -hmm. he goes, all right, where do you want to go? And at that time, I was, ah, you know, I really want to go to France. And, oh, and he goes, do you speak French? I said, well, not really. I can barely speak. Like, I started going to, to, to you know, French school. Yeah. Um, but he goes, how are your English? I said, I can, you know, I can speak English. It's not an issue. Mm -hmm. Because back home, everyone speaks at least two languages. 
Right. Um, so uh, he goes, all right, how about London? And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's fine. And he goes, all right, let me, let me pull some strings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, I was actually doing really good. I was working for Hyatt at that time. Mm-hmm. And my grades were really high. And I was doing really, really good. I finished with the highest degree in, in the school. I, you know, I well. got like best pro- professional performance and all that stuff. And, well. And I got two letters from London and I got one from Center where Peter Gromberg used to be. Wow. And yeah, the, the Mossiman, which I really, really wanted to go there, yes. uh, said that they couldn't, they couldn't take me because it, they were full. They mm-hmm. were full of, of stuff and, you know, they, they kept me uh, on the loop. But, you know, they said, look, at this time we cannot go. This was uh, probably September 1999. Right. And I got a letter from the Intercontinental saying, like, you know, we really want to have you here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you be here in a month? And I'm like, no, uh, I'm sorry, I have to finish school. You know, I have to finish all this thing. Yes. So goes, oh, when, when is early, you can be here. And I said, well, probably the, the 2nd of January of 2000. And right. Goes, oh, there you go. You have to be here the 2nd of January. So, <laughs> you know, happy new year. And then I flew straight to London. And wow. Again, and it was insanely good. I, I have all these worries um, that it was going to be... Um, very hard for me because sure. you know being from Argentina, you know yeah. all the all the issues that we have over there with the Falklands and mm. and with the you know soccer and Maradona and all yes. that all that stuff. Yes. I thought, oh, this is gonna be hell for me. Um, <laughs> and was and it? it? Was not. No, it was not. It was a, it was the best. It was the best experience I ever had. Like yeah, right. for me, London was insane. I work in a in an amazing place, amazing mm-hmm. people. I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Wow. Um, and it was good, but I think also it was the way that I went there mm-hmm. with, you know, with open arms. I went straight there to, I'm coming here to learn. Sure. I'm coming here to, to make a mark for myself. So, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. There was no issue. We were doing 100 hours a week. Mm. We never had an issue. And, you know, we had a little chart as soon as you walk into the kitchen. Of course, now it's pretty much illegal, but we used to have this little chart where you used to write all the hours. And, and you know, if we were be- below 90 hours a week, you know, you will feel bad. Wow. Um, you will feel bad. Like you, you yeah. will be like, oh no, I did 90 hours. Uh, yes. But you know what? Every single hour it was um, insane. It was just mm. amazing. We learned a lot. And, you know, that was pretty much, I established myself going, you know what? This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And yeah, well. that's it. I never done anything else in my life apart from, from cooking. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was great. So how long did you work in London for then? Uh, I was there for a year and a half at the Intercontinental. I did at the Souffle, which was um, very, very French and mm-hmm. basically specialized in the Souffle. So there was the whole section, but mainly you have to work through all the restaurants. Like you will do three months on each, each section, mm-hmm. but everyone will start in the Souffle section. So you have to stay there for at least three months. Well. And you basically run the kitchen. Because, right. you know, the, t- the timing goes depending on how long the souffle is in the oven. Mm-hmm. So it makes you, it makes you learn uh, not only the discipline, but, you know, you cannot put your section first on anyone. You need to communicate with all the sections. Sure. So, you know, all right, guys, I'm going to put the souffle now. Mm-hmm. And then we go 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So everyone go, okay, we're ready now. So mm-hmm. it, will be, it, it will set you up in a way that, okay, the communication was insane. So that, that gives you a very, a very good base for for the way I am now and all that. So, you know, yeah. I was up for one and a half years and then we got a phone call myself and my, and my at that time, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. 
uh, now is my wife, but mm-hmm. at that time we, we got, was my girlfriend. We got a phone call from, again, from Argentina, which um, same school said there was a, a position vacant to go in a luxury yachts, like it was part of Cunard. Yeah, right. And they said, look, you know, we they they are trying to hire people from our school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want you guys, if you're interested, to be the guinea pigs, just to go there and, and see, you know, if it's actually a good thing for for the school and for us. And we're like, you know, why not? So we end up going there and mm-hmm. it was a year contract at the end of the day. We, we thought, you know, for a couple of months and we stayed there for a year. Yeah. And that was also an experience that, you know, if if anyone works in ships, they will understand that it's, it's really hard. Yes. Uh, you work, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. Yeah, right. For four months to five months straight, nonstop. No, they Wow. Are. Wow. Um, and it's, it's again, but there's, there's benefits. Um, mm. That is that you travel all around the world and you meet a lot of people. You try food that you never tried before. And you've been sure. in places that you never, ever think about going before, you know, crossing <laughs> the Panama Channel or... Or, you know, being in the middle of the Amazon or you wow. know, spending two months in the middle of the Caribbean. It's so things that they're insanely good. But for, for us, it was all right. We live for one year. Yes. It's, it's another tick and then we keep going. So, yeah, right. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So so how did it come about that you came to Melbourne? What about to So we were, we were, funny enough, we were living in, when we were living in London, we were sharing the house with Scott Pickett. Oh, no way. Uh, and we were sharing the house with a guy called Paul Barton, and they mm-hmm. they one of our best friends. So mm-hmm. Scott at the time was working at the point, at the, sorry, at the square. Mm-hmm. We were, the three of us, we were working at the Intercontinental, and it got to a point that we, or we thought, you know, we need to go. Uh, Scott stay, I think, in a couple more months, mm-hmm. and then Paul um, also left. Mm-hmm. And we were in the second um, leg of our cruise, or so the second contract, and we got an email from from Paul. He was at that time working at Le Restaurant in Sofitel, mm-hmm. which used to be Three Hats. Yes. And he sent us a message saying, you know, what what are you guys doing? And we were like, you know, we were in the in, in the cruise line, and you know, we were thinking about moving to the Caribbean. We we really like the Caribbean, and we thought maybe we just go and, and work there. At that time, it was booming, so there was always heaps of jobs. Yes. Um, and he goes, what about coming to Australia? You know, we, we, we got heaps of opportunities here. I'm like, mm. yeah, why not? And he goes, well, we are the, at the restaurant and, and they always need chefs. At that time, it was 2001 at that time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, uh, we, we need people straight away. And the executive chef at that time was Marcus Moore, mm-hmm. uh, Raymond Capaldi and mm. Garmin. And they were just left, but, you know, mm-hmm. Marcus Moore took over. But the executive sous chef was Andy North. Um, which Andy North now runs the whole uh, Pickett Empire. Yes. Um, but Andy North, we used to work with Andy's brother back in the Intercontinental in London. Wow. So we all knew each other. So we did a couple of, of phone calls through, um, at that time, international phone. You know, we were yes. not, there was nothing like that. So we did an interview through Hotmail. And <laughs> and I remember we were in Puerto Rico and we had to stop there and just oh, try to phone call to Australia, all this time difference. But yes. um, we they offered us a job just to come here. And well. we we were in the middle of, literally, we were in the middle of of, of the cruise. And mm-hmm. they said, when, when can you be here? And so we, we were going to be back in Argentina in March. Um, and they go, well, you know, can you come in? mid-March and we're mm-hmm. like yeah why not so 
they send us all the paperwork to to Puerto Rico. We mm-hmm. fill it all up. We send it to Argentina. My parents and my wife's parents went to the embassy, got the papers done. And yeah, we arrived. I think we arrived to Buenos Aires on the 20th of February and the 3rd of March. We were already in Australia. Wow. Uh, and we, we thought we, we, we came here for a two-year contract. Yes. Uh, with Sofitel. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's already almost 20 years that we've been here. So yeah, Australia is home now. What was your what was your first you know thoughts about Australia when you when you landed in Melbourne? I remember looking at, at the map going around Melbourne. Ah, oh, you know, I'm just gonna gonna go on my break to the beach and it's gonna be great. <laughs> and of course, it wasn't wasn't like that. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it was cold and miserable and all that. But you know, at that time, I remember the first the first we arrived the day of the Grand Prix. Oh right, forty two degrees that day. And I remember, <laughs> wow, this is gonna be. This is a, a fun time here. Um, but yeah, we fell in love with Melbourne and, you know, we stay here forever. We never we never tried moving to any other cities. We went everywhere in Australia, but, you know, we we never tried moving anywhere else. So, you mm. know, we, we're quite in love with Melbourne and yeah. the lifestyle and, you know, the whole thing. Did you, did you notice, Dan, there was a difference between, you know, um, work like the kitchens you're working in london and and obviously the kitchens you're working in melbourne like what was the sort of some of the when, distinct differences when we, when we came to to melbourne the restaurant funny enough two of the guys that were already at the restaurant used to work with us at the intercontinental in london as well yeah so it was pretty similar you know we we came from a place working in london to australia and the people that run software at that time were all working in those places before. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty straightforward. We, we knew what we were doing. We, we know what needed to be done. Yes. And coming working from cruise lines, you are wired in a different direction. Like it's, yeah, it's they, they train you in, in, a, in, in a way that no one works like that. You know? and it took us a couple of months just to come back to normality. Wow. You know, with the cleaning schedules and stuff like that, it, it was it's too much. Yes. Um, so for us at the beginning was, you know, I thought at the beginning, what did we get into? You know, Melbourne is it's just a little town. We're coming from Buenos Aires, 40 million people at that time. Wow. You come here and it's only, it was like 2 million when we came yeah. here. Yeah. Sundays, everything was closed. Yes. You know, you walk through Elizabeth Street on Sunday, there was nothing. Docklands <laughs> didn't exist. Um, <laughs> So, true. so you know you have a, a couple of uh, a really good restaurant but you know that was it you know and mm. it was those, those times that you know on on a on a thursday afternoon all the chefs were suffering mm. eating chinese and you know everyone knew each other because you know it was it was like that yes um so for us it was great it was it was really good fun yeah um but the city it wasn't what is now it is you know now it's like 20 times bigger than what it used to be mm. before mm-hmm. and we're talking about nothing like 20 years ago Yes. Um, but, you know, we fall in love with the place, um, the whole thing. So, you know, we kept kept going and, you know, changed jobs and managed to to find a new sponsor. And mm-hmm. before, you know, we decided, oh, let's try for the permanent residency. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was quite simple because we, we did a skill migration, which, you know, we have all the certificates and all the papers and everything that, that you know, for us was pretty straightforward. And mm-hmm. at that time... Uh, chefs were in high high demand yes so, cause it was not it was really hard to find to find chefs and it's mm. still now but at that time um there was not many cook, cooking schools yeah um, you point. know and 
and there was a lot of positions and, and you know but there was all expats coming here mm. you know all the kitchens were all either you know from england or from france or some from south america but there's not many aussie chefs at that yes time. yes um so you know it was a good time for me to come in yes um and you know we never looked back is I just want to touch on that for a minute, if I can. Like, do you think yeah. do you think we could learn as an industry something now, Dan? You know, looking back those twenty years and think about, okay, well, it was such a struggle to get Australian chefs, you know, at that period of time, and then obviously there was things have changed in the industry since then. But now we're in the same predicament that we're we're still um, maybe not training enough um, Australian chefs and still having heavy reliance on. Um, international chefs, which is important as well, because we want that influence coming into this country. It's what that's why Australia yeah. is such a great place to be. But do you think there's any learnings we can get now that we're in a you know a chef crisis in this country? I think it's it's a really hard industry. Let's mm. let's put it that way. You really yeah. need to love. You really need to love what you do. Yes, to be able to sacrifice as much as we sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yet the privileges that you get are insanely good. You know, yeah. I travel all around the world and I couldn't have done it if I was an architect or if, no. if I was a designer. And I've been everywhere. Mm. Um, and I've been doing that just by cooking, you know. Yes. The difference is that you need to put 150% all the time just yeah. to be able to achieve that. Yeah. Um, saying that, it's, you know, the times has changed and you cannot work anymore like we used to work before. Mm. Well, you know, you'd be starting at 7 o'clock in the morning and you'd be finishing by 1. Yes. And it's not good. It's it's not healthy. Mm. I don't like to I don't like to do it anymore. Mm. You know, if I have to do it, of course I'll do it. Yes. But you know, I'd rather spend time with my daughter and yeah. I'd rather spend time looking at the sun. You know, it's 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 important. Mm. And I think what we need to realize that um this industry need to change that as well. It needs to change the fact that, you know, uh the payment has to be according to the work that you do. Sure. And if you're gonna be working twenty hours then pay for the 20 hours. Yes. Not only the 7.5 that we used to be before then, but yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We are chefs. We are just warriors and we work a million hours. Yeah. Again, I always say the same thing. It's it's our fault that we allow that to happen. Mm. It's our fault that we keep saying, yeah, yeah no worries. I, I work 80 hours a week. It's not, it's not a problem mm. uh, because we are too afraid to speak up. But now the, the generation has changed. So no one is afraid anymore of speaking up. No. And this is what's happening at the moment is you, you get someone doing 50 hours a week and if you don't pay and then go see you later, I'm yeah. just going to do something that pays me for the price. And it's, it's fine. So, so businesses need to change the business plan mm. to reflect that. And, mm. and like a friend of mine said to me, if you, if you, if you're making a business plan and, and you rely on people working 80 hours when you're paying 40, your business plan doesn't work. Oh, so clearly your business is not a business. Yes. So we need to change and we need to adapt. And by that means, the hospitality industry needs to adapt with the prices as well. It's not, it's not correct that 25 years ago or 20 years ago when I came, a main course was $35 mm. and it's 20 years later and it's still $35. $35 yeah. when, I came, when, when I came here, the petrol was $0.70 cents mm. and now it's $1.50. Yes. So... We need to adapt as well, and we don't need to be scared of going. You know what? Your coffee now is seven dollars. Yes, you know, because I need to pay my staff to mm. be there. To so it, it's all an evolution. The problem is people don't want to spend that money. So if you go to a restaurant now, you go, yeah, your steak is going to be eighty dollars. You're going to go, no, nah, I don't want that. Yes, but we took it for granted 
Mm. So, and that's, and that's where the problem is. The problem is that we are not evolving at the same pace that everything else evolved. Rent can go up, the cost of living can go up, but the yep. food is the same all the time. But the cost of food is going up. Yes. So before you used to buy a kilo of beef for five dollars. Mm. Now a kilo of minced beef, twelve dollars minimum. So, yeah. but still the main cost is still the same. So, that is the evolution. Until, and of course everyone wants to make a profit, and mm. because the labor is so high, you can't do anything. So that's this is this is the issue at the moment. Yeah. So it- we need to change. We really need to change. The industry needs to change, and people need to start paying for for those services. Everyone is happy to pay $150 for an electrician to come in and change a, a light bulb uh, and $200 for a plumber to come in on a Saturday to, to 10 minutes for to fix your pipe. Yes. So, you know, and they are clever. If you don't pay them, they don't come. Yeah. So you have no other choice. <laughs> so, and that's, yes. and, that's, and that's the thing, you know, go to the dentist, the same thing. Mm. You have no other choice. Yes. So, but we're giving them the choice. So it, it's, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, you charge too much and then... No one comes in. Yeah. Um, but what we learn is you need to be true to to what you to what your business plan is. You need to true to what you do. You need to believe in what you do. Mm. And you know, if you if you do the right thing, then there is a little bit of money to be made. Yeah, agree. Uh, but it's of course now it's lesser and lesser. But you just need to be clever. You just need to adapt to the times. Yes. Very well said. Very well said. Um. Dan, when when we were talking the other day, like we were talking about Argentinian food and how my um, lack of knowledge was pretty apparent, and <laughs> let's so let's talk about what what Argentinian food actually means to you, and was it was it a challenge to really you know educate Australians about what Argentinian food is and and how it is different to the rest of you know South American cooking? I think. We, we put it. I put it in a different way. You know, mm. we. You. Everyone has a perception of Argentinian food as a grill and a barbecue and just meat over the grill and yes. that's it. And that's what's perceived. Like if you, you know, if you open a, a Thai restaurant, you perceive that you're gonna sell chicken curry and that's it. Yeah. So of course, it's it's way more than that. Like, you know, it's not you open a restaurant, a French restaurant, you're gonna sell uh, confit duck. Yes. This, Way more than that. And again, like the culture of Argentina, and I and I speaking, I'm from Buenos Aires, which is the capital, and, and mm-hmm. the capital is very, very, very European. Like it's mm. half Spanish, half Italian. So my background is that. Mm. But if you go to the north, it's completely different. You know, you got Inca inspired, you know, you got the the Inca went all the way to the north. And if you go south, you got a very um German background of food. Oh, yeah. So, you know. So it's a big mix, but the thing is, not everything is mixed together um, in Buenos Aires. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you grew up in Buenos Aires, all you're going to eat is that type of food. You're not going to eat food from the north. You really need to travel to actually see it. So when you see it, then you go, ah, okay, there is more to Argentina food over it is. It's not like if you go to Mexico and you go tacos everywhere. Yes. Or, you know, mm. everyone have a different thing, but they're all thing. We, we do, but, you know, everyone based themselves are oh, let's go Argentinian food is just gonna be meat. Yes. Um so what I'm trying to do is is a bit different. I'm trying to take not that fancy, I'm just going more to the snack foods. So you know for, for me, you know, every every meal, you know, in Argentina, you know, it will start with with a snack. It will start with either a cold card, it will start with this, or we start with empanadas. Mm. And so I thought, you know what? Why why and this pushed me, I think George Conobar is 
been pushing me to do this for a long, long, long time. Right. And I keep going like, nah, you know, nah, nah, nah. And he goes, no, you need to, you need to dig into your culture and you need to, mm. you know, you know, embrace that. And I yeah. thought, you know, I'll just, you know, maybe he's right. And not, you can cook, I can cook French food, but I'm not French. I can yes. cook different things, but I'm not that. So yes, it will be tasty, but I would, it will not have that effect. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, why not? I'll, I'll start doing a little bit of, of snack food, not fancy stuff. And I did the empanadas and they just took off. They just, you know, when, when absolutely meant that just the pastry, the feelings, because they're very traditional and, mm. and they're all handmade and everything is, is delicious, but it, we're conscious to what they are. Yes. Not the fancy thing. It's just an empanada. It's something that you eat with your hands and it's something that you share. Yes. So we started this little project called the empanada bar back in Williamstown. Mm -hmm. and slowly still growing and growing and growing mm -hmm. and it just got to a point that when it was really really good and when um, the, the main establishment collapsed I asked if the name was registered and it wasn't registered so I thought you know how about if I take it over and I just took over the whole thing and I just started thinking or uh, you know I'm going to open a little shop and I'm going to do it from there just yep. as a business opportunity mm -hmm. But then I, I really sit down and start doing the numbers because I think that's something that everyone needs to do. You yes. know, it's not it's cooking is beautiful and you know the dream of opening a restaurant is amazing. Yes. You need to know your numbers and you need to know your business plan. So Absolutely. you know, that's something that that you need to do. Mm -hmm. You need to do that exercise sitting there and go, right, this is how much we're gonna make, this is how much we're gonna produce, this is where we're gonna be here, this is where we're gonna be in five years. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do that, the chances of you going bad. Uh, pretty high yeah, 100% <laughs> yes because you, know, you, you have no control of what's going on so mm. we started doing that and I thought you know well at the moment is is retail is okay but opening a shop the expenses that goes to that and for the amount of money that we could have taken it was not really like feasible to do yes so we started doing a little bit of retail but then we went into a wholesale scenario mm -hmm. when we thought we need to target Places that knowing that labor is really, really high, right. knowing that food cost is getting really, really high, mm -hmm. offer a product that people can sell saying basically that they've done it. Yeah, right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a handmade product. Yep. Everything is, you know, every empanada has a different shape because everything is done by hand. Yep. So eventually we started tapping into that market where, you know, niche product, everything is handmade. And we can do a volume and mm -hmm. you can sell it as if your chefs made it. And, you know, <laughs> you can basically exchange money. You know, you buy it for X and you sell it for triple X. Makes heaps sense. Um, and that's how it all started. And, you know, now we got a, a big portfolio of customers and mm -hmm. it's just going absolutely mental. And we're thinking now of, you know, there's a lot of inquiries overseas just yep. to sell overseas. So, yep. you know, we're trying, we're doing a little bit of, um, of exercise now to see what's what's the best scenario for us to to pursue this because sure. we wanna we wanna have different lines and different things and still keeping the same quality, mm. keeping the same the same handmade product. Yes, because uh, you know that's the thing that we've been noticing as well from many other places when you go really fast, really quick. Yes, um, you're starting cutting corners and you're starting you know not focusing in anymore on that. So mm. I'm very conscious of, of the clients that we take at the moment and how many orders can we make. 
Sure. Um, but you know, it's been it's been pretty good for us. So we're pretty pretty pleased to to do that. And now it's we're thinking adjusting the business plan to see all right where, where we hit and all right. So what how can we add to 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 the to the mix to make mm. it more exciting and um, to to you know to be able to employ now I have you know I managed to employ people now wow. and you know so we are actually supporting as well people and and that's what makes me really really happy awesome. because now you wake up in the morning and all right you know you know it's you know it's not just my my life that depends on this you know I got yes. people that actually work for me and need the money so sure. you know it's it's a different feeling now as well so it's pretty good. Does it does it push you does it push you a bit harder like having having an employee like I know it sort of does with my with my sort of business like do you, do you find that does that for you? Yeah, of course, because at mm. the end of the day, you still need to motivate everyone to work for you, yeah. and you still need to come up with new things and create it. And I try to you know have an, a, a place and an atmosphere where we work that is always fun. Yeah. I learn from every, you know, all the years that I've been in the kitchens, what I like and what I didn't like, mm. and I put it back in here. So you know. That is, you know, we come here and everyone has the same the same pitch that we that we do when everyone starts. Yes. You know, it's a very fun place. You will have fun, you can eat, you can drink, you can do whatever <laughs> you want. But we're here to work. Yes. And job needs to be done. Uh, and we have a lot of fun. Like, you know, we there's music cranking all the time and <laughs> Uh, but everything is follow all the everything is followed to to the same T. Yes. Um, but you create an atmosphere that is 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 happy. So when mm. people come here, they come to work happy. Yes. So there's no pressure. There's no you know there's no um, bad energy or anything like that. We need to produce. The, everyone knows what needs to be done. Yeah. And, and you know and it's it's a simple product. So it makes it you know we have no service and that makes a massive difference when you have no service and you base yourself and as a wholesale, it changes the dynamics because the pressure is completely different. There's mm. no there's no thinking you know, or you know what's what's going to happen. What do I need to order? Everything is plan everything is ready to go and you know we just go for it yeah are, are you thinking dan because I, I i really like your ethos around the fact that it is handmade the fact that you do have you know humans making this product and and your thought process behind um you know using this with establishments to to sort of um tell their consumers like that it is a handmade product and it is authentic and that kind of stuff like uh, are you going to broaden out you know, this range of products to do more sort of Argentinian snack foods? Is that what you're thinking? We've got a couple of other things that we mm. sell. Yep. Uh, we do a couple of condiments that we mm-hmm. do. Uh, we do a, a couple of sweets as well. Nice. And we're thinking about, because all the products that we do, not the not the alfajores or the condiments, but the rest yes. is frozen. So we yes. snap freeze everything. We prep, we blast freeze everything and then package. Um, so we are looking now maybe into do some ice cream because Argentina is very famous for oh. ice cream. So we, I've got some uh, special dulce de leche coming that is specifically done for ice cream. Wow. So it's coming probably in the next two weeks from yeah. Argentina. Wow. So we are trying to do a, a little trial on that as well. Yes. Because we're going to diversify a little bit, but at mm. the same time, you need to be, we need to be true to what we, what we want to sell. Yes. Um, try not to sell things that, you know, they're just fillers. Yeah, sure. Uh, you wanna we want to have things that, focus. you know, what we have, we sell. Mm. Uh, and this is what's happening at the moment. We, I was at the moment, at the beginning, I was a bit, um, not too keen into going to the vegan range or the mm. vegetarian range. And, you know, I sat down with a friend of mine that keep pushing me. He keeps going like, you know, you need to do it. You need to do it. Mm. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And it's our number one seller. You know, we're vegan really? empanadas. When the vegan empanadas are our number one seller, we sell <laughs> an excess of 100,000 a week. Jesus. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just crazy. And I thought, you know, it makes me think a lot. It makes me rethink what the way I think about things as well. Sure. Um, not, to be, not to be so stubborn in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so it's just change, of course. It needs to be something that I really want to eat. Yes. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just, I do things that I like to eat. And, you know, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But at least it's authentic. Thing, but I like, you know, everything that I do is, is the things that I like to eat. Yes. Uh, um, I got a lot of people that said to me, oh, Harald, if we give you our feelings, can you make the empanadas for me? I go, no, these are the empanadas that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like them, this is what, what we sell. Um, I don't want to start, you know, touching or anything else. This is, this is our core business and this is where it's going to be. So we're always trying to develop new, new recipes and new products because um, it's we're just looking at all type of business opportunities and and you know I was quite stubborn at the beginning but I realized you know you just need to realize that the world is changing as, as we talked before about you know employment and stuff like that but yes. you know the taste of people are changing as well so uh, I've been quite conscious of that so I try to make sure you know we change that and by changing that I realize it does actually work and if you have a really really good product um, you know it's it's easy to sell. Yes, of course. You know? So there's there's been a lot of inquiries of big big places. Uh, so you know, I just the numbers that they ask they are extremely high for me to produce. So at the moment, yes. it's you know searching what are the scenarios for us to be able to produce that amount. And, yeah, the scale. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, we get there. I was I was just going to ask you like you talked about being stubborn. There was there was there a point Dan, that like. Was there a moment in which you sort of got some clarity and, and went, no, I'm, I'm actually going to think about this business a bit differently now? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, after even before COVID, when, mm. and during COVID as well, you realize if you don't make a change and if you don't adapt to the current circumstances mm. or the trends, then you're going to be behind. Yeah. Of so it really makes me think if I don't change, Someone is going to be crawling on my back, yeah. taking the opportunity from me. Mm-hmm. So it was quickly realized, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to make it. If I make it and it's not successful, then at least I try. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, clearly I just go now going, like, if, if there's a lot of people now asking, oh, can you make it gluten-free? Can you make it gluten-free? And I keep going, no, 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 man. Maybe I need to look a little bit deeper into that. Yes. It's a bit different because for gluten-free, it's you need a specific license and you need mm, to you know have a separate kitchen. So it's a bit, it's a different complication. But you know, I got a lot of you know requests for vegetarians and for this and for that. So I go, you know, just change it. Yes, and and clearly it worked. And so I started to learn to listen. You know, more than anything else, not not to be so close-minded. Uh, and that is the that is a hard thing when you are you know 20 years so I've been well, 25 years now in the industry mm. and you know when you are just set to your own minds yes and you know you know what you want to do you know but you know sometimes someone comes in and says to me you just need to listen a little bit more so mm. I did start to learn and adapt myself to learn how to listen and that's a, a very impressive skill you know once you learn how to listen 
yes. then everything changed. Yeah, it's probably the most important skill, especially in an industry like ours. I that's think. it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It, it. it is true. It is true. You know, it's learn to listen, and, yes. and not only learn to listen, uh, understand what people are trying to say to you. Yes, you know, just not listen and yeah, it just goes in and out. Mm. Just retain the information and try to do something with it. So. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Dan, my, my last question to you, mate, is like, what are you, what are your goals for this year? Like, what are you excited about in twenty twenty one, moving into twenty twenty two? Well, twenty twenty one, it's it's it started really good, and you know everything is opening up, so I need to get ready because September comes. Then for us, it's game on, and yeah. even now, even now, it's just been quite busy. Mm. So I imagine, I imagine by July, August, it's just going to start going crazy again. Yeah, a bit. Um, so my goal at the moment is, all right, how do, how can I get prepared to be able to attract more people mm. for this product and to be able to deliver the same quality, the same thing, and pretty much on time because if someone comes in and says, look, you know, I got a function for spring racing, I need 10,000 empanadas, can you produce it? Yes. Before it will be, yeah, yeah, but give me a month notice. Yes. My goal now is, okay, yeah, no worries. Within two days, I have them ready for you. Wow. Um, it takes a lot of time to plan that. Yes. Um, but this is the goal. My goal is, you know, just to be able to do that, be able to to supply in in, in our bandits. Yeah. Um, so you know, but that takes a lot of a lot of time, a lot of training, because you know at the moment we, we do different lines of empanadas, but I like to close them all by myself. Mm. So mm-hmm. I got lines of empanadas coming to me. So I got two two groups throwing things at me, and I close them at, at the same time. Yes, and it's it's, it's really fun to see. Um, <laughs> but kind now of like you're expediting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now, but now I need to, I need to also uh, train people on how to mm. crop. Uh, close them properly yes so then i start to learn how to step away a little bit yeah and and when i learn how to step away and when i learn how to be able to delegate and and control in a different way then mm. that number is achievable yes so yeah. you know and then you're not 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 becoming a slave to your own business you're yes. becoming more uh, enjoying your own business more than anything which i am at the moment mm. uh, but when it comes to big numbers it's a difference it's a different scenario yeah, of course. Yeah, becomes a lot of pressure, but um, correct. But no doubt, Dan, you're gonna you're gonna smash it, mate. I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited that we talked on this thank you. this time in your journey, man. Because I think uh, thank you. I think you're gonna absolutely explode this year, and you're doing it's it's very obvious that you're doing everything for the right reasons and so authentically. And I, you know, I tip my hat to you for that, mate. Like it's obvious you. that you're thank doing you so much. well. Um, Dan, a lot of people are gonna you know want to probably reach out to you after this and, and learn a bit more. So what's what's the best way that people can you know contact you or learn more about the empanadas? Um, check the website, which is mm-hmm. www. That's yep. where you will see all the information on the website and what we do. Sure. Um, and then reach in Instagram, uh, dance empanada bar on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shows you what we do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know you can leave comments or you can ask inquiries on the website as well mm-hmm. and you know we're happy to send samples to people and if they they you know they want to come and, and we we do everything and we try not to cook anything mm-hmm. just for the reasons that it's completely different license and stuff like that of and course. you know it's easy for us yep. um but you know we open to we always you know happy to send samples to to cafes and restaurants and things that they want to try and talk to them and and see what we can help them with. You know, there's different sizes, different shapes, and all that stuff. And everything, everything has a story. 
Um, but in the website, everything explains, you know, every single empanada has its own shape and it has mm -hmm. a story and has a reason why. Um, and, you know, everything is different for, for, for just to make it, you know, more authentic, to be honest, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too, I'm a, a, a different, different type of authentic, you know. I'm, I try to keep the tradition. Yes. But I don't want to be called, I'm an Argentinian chef, you know. I yeah, just, I understand. I, I'm done and I, I, I do Argentinian food. Yes, uh, but it has my twist. It has my Buenos Aires twist, and it has all my um, learning experiences I had throughout the world. So mm -hmm. you know, this is this is what what you're gonna get when you see the empanadas. Mate, it's it's really obvious to see you're doing great things, man. And um, it's it's linked up in the show notes, all that information. So Dan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. We hope you really enjoyed this episode. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing along with those that you care about in the industry. Thanks as well to our sponsor, Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia. They strive to inspire cooks, chefs, bakers and bartenders to deliver the best product with the best tools every day. We're so proud to partner with them. That's where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design and graphic design, then you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with hospitality operations, strategy and recruitment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe. Cheers. Thank you.